Hi again, everybody. Stuart Gandalf. Welcome to another podcast, uh, another exciting guest. Today we have Doug Nolan, who is head of patient experience for Stellis. And I thought this would be a really fun departure from a lot of the podcasts we do because it's about pharmaceuticals. And so while we are talked about patient experience many times on this podcast and in our newsletter blog as well, I think that pharmaceuticals, there's a convergence. There is a disturbance in the force. Things are changing on the pharma side. And so Doug Nolan is, again, the head of patient experience for Estellas. And so, Doug, I'd like to, first of all, welcome you. Yeah, thanks, Stuart. Appreciate you having me. I'm thrilled to have you as well. So head of patient experience at a pharmaceutical, Doug, I think that's the first question. Tell me about your role and, you know, uh, we're going to have lots of more detailed questions, but just as a starter, tell us about your responsibilities at Estellas. My primary responsibilities, and this is a relatively new uh, role in pharma companies and certainly for us here at Estellas, but my role is to drive a cultural shift and as well a strategic shift to ensure that we're actually delivering even more value to patients than we have historically through the medicines that uh, that we develop and, and bring to market. So that's really the fundamentals of it is to begin to think about what more we can do and then to drive that um, into fruition you know, through the, through the uh, activities uh, each and every day by our employees. And we've talked about a mutual friend, so how about if you could share with us how, how and why you got interested in patient experience? I'll uh, maybe come back to the mutual friend um, and, and just digress uh, a bit and, and tell you that my, my inclination is to, to really try to work to get people collaborating across uh, silos and, and, and functions with, within organizations. And it you know, I happened to work in, in a pharmaceutical company, so it, that's really been um, kind of you know, the nature of, of my, uh, my work. But you know, 15 years ago, we had a, a, uh, a situation, a, a near tragic accident actually with my uh, daughter, my wife and I's first child. We were approaching her her uh, one year birthday, and there was this accident in our home where she had become um, strangulated. Uh, so, long story short, life flight helicopter. Her life was very much at risk, and um, thanks to the the incredible work of people on the front lines of healthcare provision, they they saved her life. Literally, they brought in grief counselors for us, and uh, it was it was a just a near tragic situation, and uh, it was. You know, a, a couple of years ago that I'm going back through some, some you know, old uh, items and I discover a photograph and it was one that was given to us by, by the hospital that showed five different sets of hands um, working on my one-year-old daughter, who now, by the way, is thriving and she's a 16-year-old girl doing great in life, but five sets of hands working together to save her life. And man, you talk about you know, giving some some meaning and some purpose behind behind work. It, it's really just changed the way the way we we think about that. So now, advance forward here a number of years, and coming back to our mutual mutual friend, um, I had been asked to help here at Estellas to um, ensure that our strategy is appropriate in terms of how we are uh, delivering value. And I went out and began to talk to. Sea uh, level leaders, and I just kept hearing about over and over again. This is maybe four years ago. I kept hearing about patient experience as being a top priority for these systems. And, th- and at that time, this was not kind of commonplace in in pharma. So that's really what got us going down this path. Ultimately, our mutual friend came into the picture, Jim Merlino. We, um, I think, he had made the transition from the Cleveland Clinic uh, at that time, or was just. At very early stages of his transition from Cleveland Clinic over to Press Ganey, 
And we, we uh, sought him out and said, hey, look, we're hearing all this about patient experience. We want to know how well are we doing. It's a part of our vision to serve patients and, and be patient-focused. So we invited him in here to Estellas uh, to assess our level of patient centricity, and that's, quite frankly, how everything got started for us at Estellas. Uh, didn't you actually read Jim's book, as I recall? Yeah, his book was, in fact, given to me as a gift from a, um, from a, from a, from a colleague, I, uh, I read that in, in, in one sitting over the weekend and uh, uh, immediately went to trying to connect with him directly. You know, I think it's fascinating. I met you actually through Jim, and I was saying, hey, do you know anybody on the pharmaceutical side? So this is still, uh, particularly when you got involved, uh, when Jim first published the book, pretty pioneering. I know that you're in the pharma side, but do you have any sense of the compare and contrast of, you know, the hospital side, which most people think of hospitals, certainly patient experience applies to everything, right? Device, hospitals, doctor's offices, pharma. But, you know, I guess how would you compare and contrast kind of the evolution of pharma and, um, you know, hospitals based upon what you know from working with Jim and his team? It's not a direct comparison, uh, first of all, because you guys, you know, on, on the provider side, I should say, they're, they're on the front lines of care provision. They see, they actually see patients. And, and for pharma, it's, it's, Pretty different in the sense that that it, it's it's uh, you know it's the rarity actually if we meet a patient or actually talking firsthand to patients um, at least historically that's been the case because we're we're you know so far removed from the kind of the frontline process so I think it's different from a from a comparison sake but that said in terms of the uh, journey of transformation, you know, the provider uh, side is way further along. I mean, you know, greater than 10 years into this uh, movement, I would say. How are we doing? I think as an industry, it's it's really mixed. Uh, there's some companies that are more at the forefront that are, that are making big um, cultural and strategic shifts, making the associated in, investments, and they get it and they see the potential uh, for what this can be. And there are yet others that that still have this positioned as a kind of a warm and fuzzy, nice thing to do to, you know, talk to patients and understand what matters to them. But we got to get back to the our traditional business or our core business at hand. So very much mixed. And, um, you know, some, some companies are, you know, different divisions or therapeutic line groups are making real progress. But, you know, the others in their in their company are, are further along or not, not as far along. I, I remember uh, last time I went with a big pharmaceutical group. Um, we're meeting with some of the reps, and you know they had this attitude of it's the flavor of the month, right? It's whatever, the, or the flavor, you know, it's, okay, this year's initiative is about this or that or whatever we were talking about. And so I would expect some of that skepticism relating to patient experience. But tell me why you think it's a hot topic. I mean, well, you know, some people are getting a lip service, some people are serious, but why? Why is the energy put here? Um, why do people even talking about this? First of all, the, the flavor of the month piece resonates uh, with us as well. There was some early enthusiasm for this work, but, you know, tempered with some skepticism from from um, employees that felt like, you know, is the, are we serious about this? They really wanted to do it, but the question was, are, are we serious? And that really comes back to, you know, what is the motivator for change and, and, and why should it be such a hot, hot topic? And I think, you know, healthcare is just, um, it's competitive. It's, it's uh, getting increasingly expensive. There's a lot of conversation about the uh, particularly here in the states, the you know unsustainable uh, cost structure of of uh, healthcare in 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 general, and you know certainly there's conversation around that with with pharma. And I think you know for us, we just like 
you know, patients are becoming much more empowered. They're becoming more cost conscious. Uh, there's more formulary competition around, around um, you know, pricing with payers. And then we're even seeing regulators now, the FDA in particular, changing standards and, and setting an expectation that we incorporate more of the patient voice. So, um, you know, all that, I think, and then again, you think it, think about provider um, organizations, big IDNs, and, and the payers, this is, there's incentives now tied to, you know, patient experiences and, and outcomes. So it, it's really become, I think, much more um, forefront for us to think about in context of value. How do, how do we create and deliver more value ultimately for patients? And you mentioned earlier that the you know it varies a lot as I would expect in the pharma industry you know in terms of the state of patient experience it varies a lot some are further along the path than others but I would caution some of our listeners that you know on the hospital side as well it's not like every hospital is getting is great at this right there's more awareness of it now certainly uh, since I first got involved um, speaking in Cleveland Clinic maybe seven years ago was maybe the first time I did that. Um, so it's certainly changed, but there's definitely a, a gradation. So I'm not surprised that there's some skepticism and that people are at varying stages. Do you feel like those that can early adopt have, will have a competitive advantage? Is there a competitive advantage from a pharmaceutical standpoint to understand uh, patient experience better? No doubt from my perspective that this will be a competitive advantage over the, over the long term. So first of all, it's the right thing to do. And, and we believe that here at Estellas is the right thing to do to engage with patients, to understand their needs, and, and ensure that everything we're doing to, to develop medicines and, and to bring them to market is reflective of the biggest priorities for patients. But you know, beyond being the right thing to do, it's absolutely uh, going to be a competitive advantage, and it absolutely links back to uh, pay, evolving payer models that impact you know, the provider as well. It warms my heart when you say that it's the right thing to do. And that's exactly, you know, I've talked about this topic with Jim on previous podcasts. Patient experience isn't a big revenue generator for my company. We're an agency, right? Our job is to attract patients. and uh, But patient experience is indirectly a big part of what we do. So we do patient experience for sure, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. So, yeah, there's a business side to it, but the fact that it's the right thing to do is great. And the fact that there's a competitive advantage, so much the better, Right. That's terrific that you guys are looking at it that way. Because at the end of the day, it still is healthcare. And while you know, for shorthand, we talk about the business side constantly. At the end of the day, these are real people we're trying to help. Tell me how that plays out, like on your side. One of the things you talked about, for example, when we spoke before, was copy. I don't know if there's anything else, but in terms of how do we express patient experience, what are some of the key areas you guys are looking at that you're able to share with us? Yeah, so that transition, Stuart, in terms of moving it from a kind of a warm and fuzzy, right thing to do, big picture idea into something something tangible has been really what uh, I think has helped he- helped us here at Estellas gain um, traction with it and, and, and move things forward to make it really tangible. So obviously, you know, for, for us, from a priority perspective, we're looking at the culture and leadership alignment and endorsement for this. And building it back into the strategy. But the, the thing that's really, um, more than anything else, um, begun to help us gain traction and momentum is, is what I would call quick wins. And it's things that we've done that just have the light bulb go off for our employees to say, okay, well, that's what it means. And, and oh, by the way, I see now how that connects back to our business objectives. So a couple of examples that I, I would give you um, where – we, uh, you know, going back to Prescanian, when we brought um, 
Jim and, and team in here to assess as they un- uncovered these gaps in areas where we were not being as patient-centered as we as we ultimately could be. One area was around the service experience that that patients get when they call into a pharmaceutical company, and Estella specifically. So we have 1-800 numbers. Um, and in fact, we have multiple 1-800 numbers. This is an industry norm. You may have four or five, and in some cases, maybe even six different phone numbers, one for pharmacovigilance reporting different side effects, another one uh, for information around the product itself uh, from a brand, a brand perspective, another yet for medical um, inquiries. Well, all that is very aligned to our kind of functional responsibilities here, but if you think about it from a patient perspective, um, it's very confusing to figure out which one of those specific lines that you need to call. And then you compound that over, you know, 10 or 12 different, um, you know, medicines. And now you've got 60 or 70 different phone numbers. And some companies we've talked to say they, in fact, have hundreds of different phone numbers. But no one was looking at that from a customer or patient experience perspective and saying, what is that like when they call and have to navigate this to try to get a simple answer? So we addressed that, and we addressed it promptly and in a big way such that our organization could see it. And it really resonated where they could say, okay, that, you know, what if we didn't even realize that this was happening. Another, another area that uh, seemed almost overly simplistic, um, and, and especially for folks that are further along this journey than us, but is around health literacy, where, you know, we're communicating some fairly complex um, medical information, and certainly we want to do it in a way that's um, compliant with the you know regulations and, and and the like, but ultimately, if we're communicating at a level uh, that is above the average uh, you know American's ability to read and understand that communication, then what are we really accomplishing? And that that's that was the case that we found that you know our some of our materials, whether they be product literature. Um, or uh, an informed consent, as an example, if a patient's looking to participate in a clinical trial. We've had a chance to go back, revisit that, and develop easy-to-read, easy-to-understand materials that resonate with patients. And again, our, our employees just, you know, the light bulb went off and said, we get it. And, and they've, they've also made the connection to how that links back to our, our other business objectives in a, in a positive way. So right thing to do, and uh, it's also good for, good for business. So I have to comment on both of those. The interesting thing is that it is really, you know, you would think if you look at this from the outside, it's like, well, it's all healthcare, but it's really, really different. But it's not. Um, so we talk about, um, you know, on both of those topics, you know, the confusion with phones. You know, hospitals, for example, may you know, want to send every new patient inquiry um, to, you know, a switchboard where it's just sort of a call center, but they're, they're not really routing the calls to the appropriate people well. Or do we answer with a live person? What's the phone tree look like? You know, it's funny. Our experience as an agency dealing with uh, online marketing where one little change on a landing page wildly changes results. You know, people are, you know, one of my mentors way back when in the day said, you know, people are um, half asleep with one eye open, you know. And so if you make things difficult for them, right, if you make it difficult for them, to either have a terrible phone tree or worse, multiple phone calls or worse, you know, or even the order that you choose of the phone tree, right? If you have a phone tree or who's answering it and how is it answered. If you have a hundred numbers, that's just, oh my gosh. 
So those are very real issues that come up, and slight changes can wildly improve the experience, right? That's what's great is, is that, um, you know, creating, um, consolidating this, I, you know, there's certainly expense there, but it's the right thing to do. If you start with that philosophy going forward, and, you know, in the scheme of things, given all that stuff that pharmaceuticals spend money on, I can't imagine it's a high percentage of revenue to make these really impactful changes. And then going back to the copy. So can I just jump in real quick before sure. you move on to health literacy? I just want to kind of, kind of weigh in. So, um, yeah, we, you know, we, had, we were a little bit concerned about what would this incremental investment look, you know, have to look like to fix this thing that we've historically not really addressed. But it turned out not to be the case at all. We spent very few um, you know, dollars here. Actually, we found redundancies where we were making the same investment twice that more than paid for uh, the, the things that, you know, the way we fixed the phone tree is one example. Another is we put everybody who answers the phone went through empathy training and, you know, to, to make sure that they were really relating um, with, with the people calling in for the potential situations that they might be in themselves as a patient or as a caregiver. But you know, ultimately, the work more than paid for itself, more than paid for itself. So it was the right thing to do, and it was also good for business. Fantastic. So exactly. And that doesn't surprise me in the slightest because, um, you know, a lot of times when you get into this stuff, you pull a thread, and all of a sudden the whole thing unravels, and it's easier, Right. Um, you know, the, uh, I'm trying to think of a recent example of that, but that happens a lot with us when we're working with clients where, you know, they have like a bunch of convoluted uh, websites that don't even make sense together. It's like, let's start over. Uh, let's not try to fix it with duct tape and chicken wire, but let's do this in the right way. And then it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's so much easier, so much simpler. And the, flip, the second part of that, uh, I guess, at least again from our point of view, you know, our, our objective as an agency is typically to get people to take an action. We've worked with in the past, you know, device or pharma or whatever, where it's different kinds of objectives. But a lot of our objectives is to get the phone to ring or get somebody to do something, whether it's a doctor um, to call a manufacturer or a patient to call a doctor or whatever. But, you know, there's evidence upon evidence upon evidence, not just our experience, um, that, you know, simple language works better. Short words, short sentences, short paragraphs, active voice versus passive voice, um, you know, um, uh, avoid, you know, polysyllabic words, make it easy words, choose, you know, how you lay it out. These are all basics. And what's funny is with our clients, a lot of times they'll buy off on this idea of conversational copy. Now, again, I understand there's compliance issues in pharma even more so than other areas of healthcare. But it's funny is I notice a lot of times uh, with clients, they'll agree to this conceptually until it's time to write it for them. <laughs> and then, um, you know, they, they look at it and they want to go back to writing it like a scientist. So it's really important to read that and to at least be having somebody looking at it from the, as the patient's advocate saying, whoa, 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 I understand this is all factually true, but who's going to understand that? So has that kind of been your experience as well? It has, and I would say that you know, it's our tendency for a couple of reasons. One is just the science-based nature of the work that we do, and then you couple that with the, the you know, regulators and the you know, heavily and regulated um, you know, industry and, and the importance of being compliant in everything that we do. Let's think about the person on the receiving end of this information. So, you know, it, it's those conversations that have had um, you know, our teams across with all the different functional areas, support functions to say, hey, you know what, there's a right way to do this. And, you know, we, we know what our motives are. They're right. And, and let's make sure that we're doing this in a way that, that ultimately helps the, uh, the end user be uh, you know, uh, adherent to their medicine because they understand it and, and ultimately get the care that they deserve. 
You know, that's another interesting point that I hadn't even thought of. There's a cost to do this, both economically and um, legally. There's a cost of not doing this, right? And to make an organization change, because that really is an interesting insight uh, that lawyers sometimes talk about. Well, this is all according to regulations, but no reasonable person can understand what you just said. Couldn't you have done more? So to get change done, a lot of times within a big corporate, I can't speak for your company, obviously, but in general, in corporate America, to get change done, a lot of times it's less about the reward, but more about avoiding risk, right? So I never even thought about that from a compliance standpoint. Um, so it's very interesting. Anything else you want to add up to that before we move on to the next question? Yeah, the one thing I would just say about that is it, it, it kind of comes back to you know collaboration and culture in, in the sense that I... Our legal and our compliance teams are are very much a part of uh, the movement, if you will, um, and the strategy to say how can we be more patient centered. So, uh, any any solutions that we've we've brokered here to to ultimately get this stuff done has come only because we have um, a group that is you know, committed to doing the right thing and helping us find a way po- way forward that ultimately best serves patients while also adhering to uh, you know the applicable uh, laws and regulations. It has a wildly better chance of being successful. I mean, I've seen many times where the legal team has come, you know never talks live to the marketing team, and so there's no context, right? There's no really understanding of what it is we're trying to do. So to have a legal team available to you that's not only you know available but bought in is certainly a, a better staff. Well, I was going to ask you about success stories, but I think you've already shared a couple. What's been uh, some of the challenges or surprises that you've uncovered along the way? In the early days, the people really, they wanted to do this. We, in fact, had a survey that Dr. Molino helped us with where we found that nearly 90% of our employees were top box, strongly agreed that being more patient-centered is not only the right thing to do, but could be good for our business. So you know, we, we were in a great place and that that our employees, thousands of employees felt that way. That's why we work in, 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 in pharma and healthcare. But when you got down to, well, what specifically can you do to be more patient-focused, uh, patient-centered? And that's when things began to kind of you know, break down a little bit and say, well, you know what, I, I'm not really sure. I, I do this part in the process to develop a drug or to make it available um, to, to patients, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, our industry's always done it this old way. So that was the, that, that was early on, that was the biggest thing. People just didn't know how. And um, as we've advanced here over the last couple of years, it, the, the, the real, I think, um, challenges have been, and while we've seen like, you know, mass adoption and interest in in doing more and more to be you know, to, to deliver even more value to patients. It's how do we begin to scale this up and drive it into the the uh, the DNA of the organization, even at a at a you know cross functional and global level, such that that uh, that we're moving. Um, you know, together at the at the optimal pace and and not leaving anybody behind. You know, with large organizations and a lot of different cross-functional teams, it's 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 easy to uh, kind of forget about uh, different groups. So I think the the biggest challenge right now is just making sure that we're doing this in a sustainable way that that uh, uh, you know allows every one of our employees to contribute from their respective uh, roles and functions. One of the things that I've talked to Jim about and some others. Uh, about this topic before is the idea of a couple of things. First of all, leadership support. Um, without leadership support, this movement doesn't go very far, in my experience at least. And then number two, if everybody's responsible, nobody's responsible, meaning that 
everybody is, is responsible to help make this movement go forward, but there has to be somebody in charge of it. Has that been, does that make sense to you? Do you agree with those statements? That, yeah. like, I think having somebody like you in charge is really important to make sure that it becomes, you know, I joke in my seminars about a sheltie dog nipping at everybody's heels to keep them on track. But, you know, what has been your experience there? Yeah, that resonates uh, very much so. And that, I mean, this was already our corporate vision, you know, talks about being on the forefront of healthcare change to bring innovative science, you know, turn innovative science into value for patients. It's a part of our cultural values. It's, it's the, the way we've kind of viewed ourselves. But, um, you know, it did, it, in fact, it took, you know, both of those things, leadership, uh, commitment, and a dedicated resources to say, hey, this is going to be our day job to make sure that we stay on task. And so, yeah, it absolutely resonates, and it's been the case here. So anything else, any predictions for the future? We could be a futurist now. We're toward the end of the year, 2000. Uh, 18 and going into 2019. Any uh, predictions for either your, what you're doing in Astellas or with the industry in general for us to look forward on the pharma side? Certainly from an Astellas standpoint, this is a mainstay strategy for us. It's a big part of what we're doing. We're just going to continue to push you know, you know, the bounds of patient-centered innovation as we go forward. Uh, we're going to see more uh, patient-centered clinical trials where we're bringing the patient perspective into the way we develop uh, drug compounds, really listening to their voice, almost like you know the provider organizations are using a uh, you know, PFAC or a patient ad family advisory council, doing more and more of that. Uh, also beginning to work with with provider organizations and in some cases payers on truly collaborative efforts to uh, to improve patient experiences and outcomes. At least in our our position, we feel like we can't kind of work in our own silo or our own vertical to solve for, you know, better patient experiences and outcomes, you know, why would we not, you know, work with people on the front lines of care provision? That's partly why I was so excited to to do this podcast with you today. So those are some of the things with, with Estella's. Uh, and then more broadly, you know, at a pharma industry perspective, I think you're going to, you know, continue to hear more and more about this. There's a a, um, a, a definite, definite change um, in, in process that uh, this is beginning to catch fire across the industry, and um, you know I think I think just this realization that we're all um, in it together in terms of serving patients, and as people begin to put it, you know, put the pieces together to know that um, you know. By working together, we can better meet patient needs. You know, it'll continue. Um, you know, I think one comment I want to make before we wrap up here, in a moment you can share any final thoughts, so you can sort of think about that. But the, um, I guess one of the comments you, or, you know, we talked about patient experience, but patient-centric, I think, is kind of at the heart of this. You know, I think in healthcare in general, um, with large institutions in particular, um, you know, there's always this idea of, you know, scale and efficiency and how do we, um, you know, do things in a broad way. But when you put the patient at the center of everything, it really is a different way of thinking um, where, okay, what is this, like somebody's got to advocate from the patient's point of view because, you know, patients are not a part of an assembly line. And it's not like anybody's trying to not do that, but unless it's front and center, it's really easy just to think about it from a systems or operational standpoint. Um, you know, even going back to, you know, mundane phone calls, operationally it may make sense to have for each department to have their own phone number, but, you know, as holistically, it doesn't make as much sense. So I think that's really an intriguing thought. And I would encourage all of our listeners to come back to that 
not just patient experience, but what's patient-centric? You know, how can we really think about it from their point of view? Any final thoughts, uh, Doug? One other thing I wanted to maybe share, if, if it came up, but I think this would be an appropriate time, is one thing we've, we've, we've begun to you know, share across our organization, and it's really resonated with with our you know, thousands of employees. Is that at some point or another, you know, we're all going to be a patient and or a caregiver, and many of us are uh, today. So, you know, another thing that we've done that has has you know had real value is begin to bring forward some patient speakers to share their story with our employees. But very often, those patient speakers are actual employees who are uh, battling cancer uh, right now, or or their their spouse may be. And I can't even begin to tell you how powerful it is, is when one of your colleagues gets up and says, hey, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for 25 years, uh, and I'm here to tell you that until today, until I'm suffering with XYZ cancer um, and, and, and working through a very complex healthcare system and feeling completely overwhelmed and out of my element. Again, after being in this industry for 20 or 25 years, and then for them to share examples around trying to read package inserts from 10 different drugs they're on and not understand it, it really resonates to, to, to empathize with and put ourselves in the shoes of the, of the patient and, and has done wonders for us to begin to think through how we can operate differently and, and do so in a way that you talked about is patient-centered and, and ultimately gives us that scale and efficiency. Doug, i got to also thank you for sharing your personal story. I'm so thrilled that your daughter um, is doing fantastic and wow, what a scary moment that is. But it is, that, it's that empathy to be able to, you know, look at the world from the patient's point of view. And I've, in my travels, for sure, I think it's, I've seen, you know, people that have, you know, who have been on the other side of this all of a sudden, whoa, it's, it's one thing to be intellectual. It's another to be really in the middle of it. So to have your employees there um, in the middle of it is, uh, and coming and speaking about their experience, I can see why that would be so impactful. And again, I guess for my my final comments on this is that, you know, from again, we're an agency, but from our standpoint, anything we can do to help this is great. You know, a lot of people in our field and the marketing side, you know, really frustrated clinicians. They'd rather be a doctor. And that's not me at all. I have no interest in being a clinician. I'm much more, though, however, this is a topic where I feel I, I love marketing, I should say, is really my passion. So I like helping people get cared for, but I don't want to be a doctor. I'm just not, never my, my ambition. But this is an area where I feel like, okay, I'm not diagnosing people, but it's, if I can help advance this ball, help get the word out through people like you. Um, and then also, you know, when we work with our clients, can we, you know, how can we help our clients get to that patient experience and remind them whether it's as mundane as, you know, training the phones or writing copy or whatever, those are all good things. So um, it's great to have this, uh, you know, we've built this readership. And so from my standpoint, I hope all of our readers and listeners are embracing this at whatever level because we're just trying to help it. So, Doug, you've been fantastic today. I was really excited about this. You know, from the moment I met you, I feel like we're on this sort of same page here uh, with the direction we're going. And it's great to see that patient experience not just happening at the provider level, that it's actually happening in the pharma. So I appreciate your time. It was terrific. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Really appreciate it.